Welcome back to another episode of The Sample Hour. This is your host, Andrew Sample. Um, today I'm joined by Mr. Daryl Becker. Um, he runs the website voluntaryvirtues.com. Um, he's also uh, well known for his, um, kind of his, uh, I guess, his, the way he's broken down nonviolent communication. Um, I have had him on a couple other times, so if you haven't listened... Um, go ahead and download those other episodes and check them out, man. Those are pretty good podcasts. But um, anyways, so in this episode, we, we kind of do a lot of spoilers of this of a book. We discuss a lot of the, we discuss some a lot of content from a book called The Diamond Age by Neil Stevenson. So just kind of a forewarning. So if you don't want to be um, if you don't want us to spoil the book for you, you may want to turn off this podcast and read the book and then listen to it. Now, if you don't care and you don't read books or you just don't think you'd want to read the book, that's cool too. So just go ahead and listen. Um, Daryl and I, we talk about a lot of other stuff as well. Um, um, I actually had a lot of, a lot of fun talking to Daryl on this podcast. So um, he is in the middle of writing a book. So please go to his website, voluntary, voluntaryvisions.com. And donate, or I like to use the word contribute, contribute to him making his book. Um, also, look for the new sample our webpage. I've been working on, um, I just actually decided just to buy a Squarespace about five minutes ago because uh, it's something I've been meaning to do. So um, look for that. Um, I'm going to try to make everything centrally located. And we're going to do some other stuff as well. Um, I have some pretty pretty good ideas for it. Um, so that's it, guys. Um, go to um, voluntaryvisions.com. Um, contribute to Daryl's book. And enjoy the show. way better than the last ohio to hawaii connection we had (laughs) (laughs) i've been having some good connection luck recently the last couple months yeah i well because where i was at at the old spot man i had uh at AT at&t and then i switched to uh and like the cable provider that was there only went up to like 15 but i actually have like a 30 by 3 connection here so it's not too bad I'm on DSL with Hawaiian Telecom, and I had some issues <laughs> in a big way, I would say, back in uh, June and a small bit of July. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. What's, uh, what um, kind of DSL speed do you get out there? You know, um, I should really get a bit more tech savvy and just be able to like look at that and see what the hell is going on here. <laughs> like I don't even know where to look for that. Like I'd have to like literally like Google how do you tell what your DSL speed is and then start going through the process of tutoring myself. Well, luckily that's that's I sell internet and ca- uh, internet and phone and cable now for businesses, uh, two businesses for an evil telecommunications company. If you just go to speedtest.net, it will actually tell you all you need to know, sir. Um, 
But yeah, uh, DSL, so usually with DSL, with the thing with DSL is it's like an older technology, so they're still using like the old phone line stuff. Sure is, um, yeah. The nice thing about it is it's not expensive, and you don't have to deal with an evil cable company, but the evil cable companies usually have the best connections. So it's, uh, I don't know, man, it sucks either way. They're, we really need to have like a an open source ISP um, like the in a bad way, like nobody ever talks about that, like because it's so expensive to build. But I mean, if that's that's like a real way that we don't have to worry about net neutrality, if we just if we had our own ISP that we could all buy into, it wouldn't it wouldn't fucking matter. So I don't know and though. I gotta. That, I'll plan that someday, Daryl. No, I'm just teasing. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of related to our topic of the decentralization of the media grid. It really is. Yeah, man, it really is. Uh, but, uh, well, first off, welcome back to the show, Daryl Becker. It's been uh, since I moved, which was back in November. So I don't think I've uh, we've talked since November. But, um, yeah, yeah, lots of things have happened. You know, we've yeah. both been growing. Uh, I tell you what, I wanted to... Oh, I wanted to get you back on, but I didn't, like, I wanted to make sure I had something to talk to you about, just because, uh, like, uh, you're always a great guest, and uh, Gino Denning really just, you know, he spoke so highly about you and your studies, and your, um, he's, he just always, every time I talked to him, he said something really, always had really nice things to say about you, and then in our last discussion, he he said, like, he talked about this good sci-fi book uh, by Neil, um, Neil, uh, Stevenson. Neil Stevenson, yeah. The the Diamond Aged or the Ladies Primrose or the Ladies Um The Young Ladies A Young Ladies Illustrated Primer yeah. is the subtitle of The Diamond Age by Neil Stevenson. Yeah, and it's yeah. It's an awesome book. I'm almost done with it. Um just a really good like I like we we talked before, I'm a big Philip K. Dick fan of his science fiction. Um he always did a great job of introducing ideas like back in the 60s and way before. And this book was written in the 90s. And it's very, very interesting, man. It's a, it's an awesome book. But um, so anyway, sir, you wrote an awesome essay on it. But uh, so let's let's dive on in, my man. All right. There's no no show prep for this one. We're just diving on into it. <laughs> we can it. do some prep if you want, man. I mean, I don't I like to keep it raw, man. It's always like a casual conversation i mean we can do a prep we can uh if you know i'm i'm happy to go ahead and and just jump right into it and have the definitely unreleased stuff of us talking casually to each other about personal things that don't go into a podcast later on you know? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good to me man that sounds good to me yeah um, yeah i mean i i got my notes i got my everything in front of me uh i prepared for this a little bit that's so, awesome, man. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I haven't. I have to say, uh, just going back to that topic of the connectivity issue, the the various free services out there. Obviously, Skype. Obviously, Google Plus Video Chat, and there probably are a few others out there that are lesser known, and all of them have problems. So, I'm not sure if you've heard of the Freedom Fiends, Michael W. Dean's podcast and projects and uh, actually as has the freedom fiends as a radio show on a bunch of stations um he's been actually trying to crowdsource fiendphone an actual open source actual usable you know audio or video or both type 
you know, connection system that would be a lot more user friendly without all of this crap and dropout and everything, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's pretty cool. I'll have to check that out. I've not heard of him. Yeah, it's it's up there. I mean, if you ever listen to the Liberty Radio Network, LRN, that would be one place where I think he's he's had some time over there. Liberty Radio Network, uh, they're well known for Free Talk Live. You must have heard of that, right? Free Talk Live. You know, man, as much no? as like... So here's the weird thing, Daryl. So as much as I am pro-freedom and uh, I like and I've like stumbled on cool people like yourself, like... I don't listen to a lot of the other like radio things, and it's not that I don't find them interested. I'm just like unaware of them. When I went to, uh, I just went to the Jackalope Freedom Festival, which was pretty awesome. Right. Man. Yeah, you should you should try to make it out next year if you can. That's quite a bit. Actually, they got uh, flights from Hawaii to uh, Arizona via um, Allegiant for not too expensive, but uh, it was a pretty good time, and I had no. I met like Michael Shanklin, and I had no idea who he was. I'd never heard of Voluntary Virtues uh, Network or any, ah, anything yeah. like that, man. I, I am not, uh, I'm not as connected into that. Uh, I I kind of just stumble on all you guys through my own interests, and just it'll be like a topic, and then I'll find like I found you through Nathan Fraser, and then uh, I found a lot of stuff through Nathan Fraser. But I, somebody told me to listen to Nathan Fraser um, on Red Ice Radio. And then mm-hmm. that's how I found Nathan, and then Nathan kind of pointed me in a lot of different directions. So, um, so yeah, so that's 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 all. I I, I heard a live three free FM because of Jason and the network that he's or not Jason because of uh, Nathan because of the network he's on. But yeah, so I'm not uh, I'm not that in the know, man. I apologize. Um, no worries. This is not a contest of. <laughs> being plugged in this is actually just a casual conversation and just the fact that you do know of red ice creations and henrik palmgren's work is a sign that you actually are actually plugged in you know <laughs> <laughs> you actually you know something because that that's not um that's nothing to sneeze at although i definitely have to say in the last year his work has taken uh, a very more, much more f- i would say ethnic and racially focused perspective but um, it still is very valuable and still covers a variety of topics. And he asks ex- excellent questions of his guests. And that's part of what the value is, I would say. The same thing is uh, when you have Gino Denning on a show. You know, it's like it's all in how excellent is the host and asking him questions. And I, I, I look did... forward to talking with Gene yeah, in the Gene, future. Gene's a cool guy, man. I hope I did it. I kind of just let Gene talk um, mm-hmm. and like just talk about a subject. I I'm always worried about that, Daryl. I'm always worried, like, uh, man, I hope I'm asking the right questions. I kind of like to just give people, like, some liberty to talk about stuff that they're interested in or just something different. Like, uh, um, I mean, that's why I was excited to talk to you about this because um, uh, we talked about nonviolent communication a lot. and, and And I think, like, you know, you mastered, like, this presentation of, like, how to learn nonviolent communication, and you really practiced that. But I don't think, like... I, I want I want people to know kind of like how intelligent of a dude you are in reality, like because like you're like following your Facebook post, man, and like the cool math thing that you video you showed, and you know, and, and I think just the way that you're really studying the trivium, it's really inspiring for me. Um, and I think kind of like to to go back to like well Heinrich, Heinrich how his how his works kind of changed. I mean, again, that that is why we have the trivium, though. I mean, you can still kind of filter out what is kind of like important from that does that make sense 
Absolutely. It comes down to isolating some key attributes such as what is the value? It's kind of the end questions of my essay. What are the purposes of whatever the thing is, the media that you happen to be absorbing, or in this case, the media that you happen to be producing, co-producing? And how does it help make life more wonderful for everyone concerned? <laughs> These aspects of how, how is this actually functional? How does it work? And in what way is it a good thing, essentially? And I know good is a very relative term, but it comes down to utility and aesthetics and all the qualities that you instinctually happen to lean toward. So is that an example of this is, you know, essentially I, I know what you mean by intelligence. I think you mean by I put one word in front of another in a pleasing way to you. That's great. You know, <laughs> uh, you're a I, humble guy, man. You don't give yourself enough credit, man. You are a, you're a very good student. I mean, and I, w- I would say that the, like I would say like just from like following you on Facebook from the past few months and I don't want to be like too weird complimentary, but I, I don't think uh you're a humble guy, so I know you're not going to give yourself credit. And you do put one word in front of the other very well, but I don't know. I'm not going to let you get away with that, Daryl. You've got to give yourself more credit. <laughs> All right. So stepping out of the humble seat, I'll say that I am purely way more awesome than most people <laughs> would go. ever know. There you go, Daryl. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I wanted to I, hear. Which, by the way, is a diagnosis, which I gave to myself. <laughs> 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 I have a treatment plan for that, which is I am consistently humbled by the various aspects of my three-dimensional reality. Uh, That's funny, man. Yeah, I'm, I definitely found value in the book The Diamond Age more than 10 years ago. I was just bumping around town, driving around for the various jobs that I did in Vermont. And that meant that I listened to a lot of audiobooks because at that time, uh, I would say it's more than 10 years. It might have been like 12 years or something like that. You know, I mean, I'm sure you can just do the math and say, kind of not so awesome internet. Uh, the internet was very nascent, very beginning. There wasn't a lot of content being spread around, and I didn't know specifically where it was. So I was either listening to the community radio station, which was excellent, and it was up uh, definitely taking satellite feeds from some really amazing shows, some of which I actually continued listening to after I learned about podcasting. And then, of course, I would be going to the library and getting CDs or cassettes. Remember audio cassettes? Oh, yeah. I was getting these ancient archaic devices, um, compact discs and audio cassettes of audiobooks and the performance that Jennifer Wilkesy does of The Diamond Age by Neil Stevenson is stunning. I love her voice. She's probably my favorite vocal actress of all of them, and I listen to a lot. So there's that, you know, the many different types of accents and voices and inflection that she can do is stunning. And so I've I've definitely tried um, actually reading it, you know, in print version too, and I've got the EPUB in my computer here. Um, I would have to say it's... a just an amazingly compelling story following several different characters throughout the entire book, giving some detail to what happens with them, which is always a great aspect of literature when you, you know, it's not all focused on the one main character or, or something simplistic like that. But it's really about the story. It's, it's about these aspects of this 
alternate future that could possibly be if tyranny wasn't so incredibly powerful, apparently. So I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm not too hopeful that this book would be reality in the next hundred years, although I would love it because each of this, uh, these two cyberpunk stories, this is the genre cyberpunk as far as I've, I was, I remember reading about that. If the Snow Crash, which comes before the Diamond Age and has one co- character in common, or the Diamond Age came about, either of those worlds is better than the one we live in presently. Both of them are. And it might take you a little while to read them and maybe reread them to see how, why, why is it, Daryl, that you would prefer that? Because I generally prefer decentralization and greater freedom over centralization and the present levels of tyranny. And that's why. That's one good reason why. Also, with the decentralization comes incredible amounts of innovation, which both of the books feature. So the book in question, The Diamond Age, features completely decentralized media grid, which we're going to get into in a moment. And also, all at, at this point in this world, this theoretical world of the future, there are no more monopoly-type nations, but there are files of societies which people usually voluntarily subscribe to, although some of them you could be born into. And people cross files, just as here, all the time. And another aspect of it, of course, are the technologies, such as drones. Drones are heavily featured in the Diamond Age, as well as nanotech, especially nanodrones, very tiny ones, called mites, basically, in this book. And certainly the subject of 3D printing from the atom up, is very, very prominent in this book, which is why it's called the Diamond Age. As this is the information age, here we are, me and Drew, sharing information with you, the audience. Here, I'm, There it is. I'm breaking down the wall, that fourth wall, and I'm talking to you, audience. Um, <laughs> this is the information age. This book is about the Diamond Age, where they literally can build from the atom up, and literally they can build windows out of diamond. Diamond is no longer a precious substance that is you know, painstakingly mined and such. So, yeah, those are some features of this book, as well as, of course, the way that information travels, which is why I wrote the essay. That's, that's the end of my 500 words. Now it's your turn, Drew. <laughs> yeah, I would say, um, yeah, I, I, something that was very cool about the book was uh, um, the, uh, I forget what they call it too, but Harv and, um, Harv and Nell, Nell, which are the two children. Well, Nell's the main character, but... They have a, it's called an MC, and pretty much it has so much material in it, and and uh, they can make different things just by like playing on the MC, and some things cost more money, and and uh, it's just the idea of the way that I, the world is kind of pieced together and really put into place uh, is it, it's really just fascinating. Like it really just kind of sucks you in. Um, yeah, it's the, the uh, 3D printing, which everyone listening is probably at least somewhat familiar with, where you obviously you have to not only buy a 3D printer, but you need to buy supplies that the printer uses to print with. Well, in this world, in the world of the Diamond Age, young Nell and her brother Harv have access to an MC, a matter converter. And this MC has a feed, meaning that it's, it's got the raw feed of atoms coming into it. And so in that instance, this is an aspect of centralization. And in other words, their feed is controlled. They are thetes. That, that is, they, they are not part of a file. They're not part of a collective or a nice affluent collective. 
They don't have their own private feed. They're connected to essentially like welfare, like people using an EBT card, you know, is connected to welfare. These children and their mother are connected to the welfare feed of atoms through their matter compiler, which can make food, which is, you know, edible. It could make anything that they pretty much need where, of course, the programs are going to be limited to, you know, identify certain weaponry and try to prevent them from making those. But essentially, you know, that's centralization and the problems that come with that. It's still as fascinating as all hell because, you know, like from a little tiny age of, you know, you see little Nell at age four learning to make a mattress. And yeah. that, of course, doesn't give a lot away. But so, by the way, if, if, you're, if you really don't like spoilers, you might not want to listen to this podcast <laughs> until you've read The Diamond Age. Yeah, I think uh, – yeah, I, I was really kind of blown away because when the, when the book actually first starts out, it starts out with uh, Nell's dad. And, um, and I didn't – think that the story was going to actually go the way it was it, like it also has like he uh he's kind of a like he's he in essence is a cyberpunk he's got like uh he's all kind of geared up so his muscles are big from different uh different um like electro stimulators and uh he's got a, a gun that's actually uh implanted in his head and he's got and then he um it's it's just really fascinating um it's weird because I do want to kind of spoil some um, just because I want to talk to you about the book. Um, but Yeah, uh, no, we can go into it because, you know, at this point, you can put like a preliminary spoiler alert. <laughs> read the Diamond Age first. Yeah, read the Diamond Age or first. Or listen and don't ma- doesn't matter that we're giving everything away. Yeah, because <laughs> I think the ideas from the book are really good and just like what you were saying. And I think um, – so in the, and I didn't even think about when I read your essay after reading that part of the book and listening to that part of the book I was like man I didn't even think about that um which we'll get into and uh like so essentially he is a punk and he he pretty much just hooks up with uh Nell and Harv's mom when it's convenient for him not really that good of a father but when she's pregnant he decides he needs to start making more money so he goes on this robbing spree and from there, he comes across this, like, kind of educated, like, they, they, they're, you know, it's not somebody that's from the area. And he doesn't, he's kind of, kind of taken aback because it's, you know, they, they, uh, they're not really afraid of him. And he never had to really shoot anybody before. So then he ends up shooting this guy in his arm. And they all, like, have, like, the similar scar on their face. And, uh, and then uh, he ends up robbing the guy. And then he goes away and he thinks nothing of it. And then it comes. I'm trying to remember what kind of transpires. But then what happens is they have. Uh, oh, I can tell you the whole story too. But <laughs> I, I, I like I've memorized this part. You know? Yeah. If, if you, yeah. If you want, if you want to not wanna, struggle through it. You yeah. Know? If you want to jump in, yeah, because it's uh, you've read it more than I have. But it's like yeah. it, it's it's really what kind of sets the story of like what this like the benefit of being in a tribe in this world. Um, Precisely. Yeah. And so that shows you the strata of society in a future that first decentralized and then, as usual, people collect together within – Yeah, voluntarily within what is called files. And some files such as the Ashanti, which is an actual uh, tribe that actually exists today, right now. The Ashanti exists. And in this far future, the Ashanti also exists except – they have adopted some of the mannerisms of another file, the Neo-Victorians. Yeah. 
or Atlanteans, as they're also called. And so, you know, they're, they're aiming for affluence. They're aiming for, you know, various informational and technological superiority and certainly financial superiority. All of them are trying to compete and also somewhat collaborate and innovate together. And this is an aspect of it. And then you have someone like Nell's dad, Bud, who happens to not belong to any file at all. And so therefore he's called a thiet, which I don't know what it's short for, but essentially he's just a a criminal who is just looking to push people around and get money that way. And for the first time he comes upon someone who's not afraid of him because that person is belonging to a very powerful file. And so, you know, I was thinking, you wouldn't be foolish enough to go after me uh, because, you know, there's going to be serious retribution. And in this instance, for this character, Bud, there is serious retribution <laughs> and he gets caught. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's an aspect of it. Like you, you hear in this book of all of these various peoples, some of which are tribal and ethnic racial, such as ones that exist today, the Salish people of the Northwest. You have various, uh, you know, they're mentioned in the book as, as bit, you know, mentions and things like that. And then you have others that are completely decentralized, an organization called Cripnet, which is completely decentralized, as well as the reformed distributed republic of all of these people with these rituals that, that are performed around the world, essentially, where they collect together for various reasons. And you can see, like, this is kind of like what we are doing right here. We are decentralized, but we're part of a tribe. It's like you, you're connected to Live Free FM. So am I. I found value in Nathan Frazier back when he was called Paranoid, you know. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> Was he a DJ rapper? No, he's just a rapper, Paranoid. Absolutely, yeah. I've, I found value in his work back then. I found value when he was coming on to Truth Frequency the 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 um, radio show and and also podcast. Now the the Truth Frequency Network obviously lifted up. Um, I, I I found value in I would say Michael Shanklin's work. Voluntary Virtues was just like basically dropping uh, vodcasts, video podcasts periodically, and now he made a whole little network. And I was I was pretty psyched to see what what he was able to innovate essentially. Yeah. So this is it, this is distributed. In other words, we, we're like very, very separate geographically, but we're philosophically and also electronically connected. We're able to come together. This book, The Diamond Age, is showing examples of let's just take that to the next level. That's kind of what it is, basically. And the subject of my essay was about making governments obsolete. The purpose of which, meaning like why would you want to? Well, uh, tyranny? ring a bell so there would be that but the other thing would be instead of fighting instead of protesting instead of asking for more freedom and less tyranny which has been a very age old methodology which seems absurdly failure ridden instead it's about completely out innovating as this book basically describes where and I, and I gave it fully in the quote in, that, in the Diamond Age, those pages in the book, where it's described as the media grid, cryptographically hidden information distributed and information spreading from one person to another in a completely decentralized manner prevents 
the tracing of any information, which of course prevents the tracing of any money or units of value or currency. And in doing so, governments are gone because they can no longer just pluck from everyone and see what they're doing and take from them periodically. All of a sudden, now there's greater creativity and innovation. And that's why I saw this as important. And I drew it all to the subject of Bitcoin. Uh, I want to know, how familiar are you with Bitcoin, Drew? I'm not super familiar. So I, I pay attention to it. And... Um... I don't own any Bitcoin. I, I think I'd like to. I actually had an opportunity to get Ooh, one. it's buying time now. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I had quite an opportunity to get a lot of Bitcoin. Uh, oh. When it first came out, and I yeah. just kind of missed it. It freaked me out because I was actually trying to do it because uh, I uh, the, new, the Usenet, uh, I was on Usenet, which is like a part of the deep web, and that's how I was getting all, a lot of my media and so on Usenet, the, the boards that I was using to actually get to, uh, to, to, to basically the, the news groups that I was getting, um, the, they just shut down the site because they were the most popular. It was called like NZB Matrix. And then there was another one called uh, NZB, um, NZBRS. And mm-hmm. uh, NZBRS, you could only get a few downloads. And the only way they would let you get like become a member is if you paid in Bitcoin. And at the time, the only way I could find to buy Bitcoin was actually just to get on a cell phone and call this number for 20 minutes, and I would have had Bitcoin. So if I would have just sat on the cell phone for, uh, and I think it was would have been a whole Bitcoin, because this is back <sighs> in like uh, like 2010 or 11. Yeah, it was like early mm-hmm. on. I think it was uh, it was late 2010, um, and uh, it might have been early 2011. Like it was like back then, and it was still new. And it kind of weirded me out because if I was like, man, I don't know if I'm just going to be spending money on this and what. And I ended up choosing not to do it, Daryl. I also thought about buying a bunch of Netflix stock back in the day, and I didn't do that either. So I've made some bad decisions in my day financially, Daryl. And uh, um, but I, I I definitely see the value. I mean, especially nowadays. I mean, uh, with the whole Cold Cold War. 2.0 there's de-dollarization going on pretty much led by uh Vladimir Putin like they're trying to, to they're trying to basically take down the petrodollar um because mm-hmm. they don't want to play they basically don't want to submit to the tyranny of our of the US government um not that they're any and I'm not going to try to say that Putin is any better of a human being or anything like that but I mean just to to to, to just put it in simple terms I mean that the US government is pretty much the most tyrannical force out there right now and I think, uh, or pretty much the U.S. military complex. And I think it's, uh, and so yeah, I, when you look at like things like Bitcoin and Litecoin, I mean, now, now's the time to get involved. Like now's the time, I mean, um, to buy up these cryptocurrencies because they are going to have value. Like people, w- money, that's all money is, is an idea. And if whatever people perceive to have value is what people go for. And right now, it's U.S. dollars, and everybody wants to get U.S. dollars. But as soon as people stop perceiving, perceiving that as having any value at all or stop using it as a source of value, like all your money is going to be worthless. So I guess just to get off my rant and go back to that's what I know about money, but I don't know much about Bitcoin. So there we go, Daryl. <laughs> well, I'll just say some things related to Bitcoin for the people who are completely – Cryptocurrency illiterate, essentially. 
So essentially, there's the major components of what this is. This is decentralized, peer-to-peer, open source. Those are some of the main attributes. So breaking it down a bit further, decentralized, what does that mean? It means that the ledger, the blockchain, the growing something like, what is it, 20 gigabytes or so of every Bitcoin transaction that's ever occurred from 2009 to the present day, to the second, is all on the blockchain and growing. And how many computers out there have a copy of this blockchain and all sync up to see that they have the exact same ledger? Uh, There are more than, I don't know, I think there's more than a couple hundred thousand individual servers and computers who have a copy of this blockchain who all link up and make sure that they're on the same page, that every transaction is verified. And where are these computers? Everywhere. I could have one if I chose. I have enough space on my computer here. I have enough space on a portable hard drive, certainly. But I don't presently own a copy of the blockchain, but a lot of people do. (laughs) A lot of people, and they keep growing. So that's decentralized. Open source. What does that mean? That means that the actual code for the architecture and the engineering principles involved of Bitcoin Any geek can go and look at the white paper, can go and look at the actual structure of this program. As any geek, anyone who's seriously computer literate, could look at my MacBook here and tell me about the OS that it's running and understand the architecture of that until they find that it's not open source and they can't look past some cryptographically encoded thing. So the architecture for the Bitcoin blockchain for the entire Bitcoin network itself is open source. All these people are looking into it, those who have the know-how, and they keep trying to see if there's a way to counterfeit it. Because if you could, you know, Bitcoins are kind of pricey. It's right now pushing uh, under $500. It's an excellent time to buy. I think it was like 485 or something. Yeah, when and I, uh, um, it, was- it was holding steady at 600 for months, basically. Yeah. And... Um, so, you know, this is one of those times where it, when it dips low and then it, like everyone starts buying and then it rises up again because that's what it is. So those, that's the, the other aspect. And then the, the third one that I said, peer-to-peer. I send a part of a Bitcoin over there to Drew Sample and he gets it, me, to him. It's recorded on the blockchain. Everyone can see that certainly a wallet, you don't know where it's located, sent this amount of Bitcoin to that wallet over there, specifically my wallet and my identifier to your wallet, your identifier. Now, there's a way to hide that to make it difficult to see who exactly owns those wallets. And that's beyond something that I, you know, I'm not really that literate enough to know. Like, I don't know how to make every Bitcoin transaction perfectly dark and anonymous. And I don't really care to because I don't have very much. And I just... um, you know, I'm just kind of playing with it, essentially. I, I made actually a few thousand dollars with Bitcoin, and that got me through some hard times. That's, but, uh, that's, um, that's no small, small number. But if I had just stopped investigating the subject and, and like stopped listening to James Corbett of the Corbett Report, who was so Bitcoin skeptical for so long, talking down on it, finding people who had problems with it and putting them on his show... I would have invested early on in 2010 and be a serious Bitcoin millionaire. <laughs> but I chose the wrongs. I chose caution. I, I held off until 2013, which is when the rise of it happened, when it went beyond the, the double digits. 
to the it went to four digits. I saw it go all the way up to past gold. I saw it go past like eleven eighty, you know, per Bitcoin and past a gold ounce basically. And um, you know, I, I was able to sell some back in, in the nine hundred range when I bought at the like three hundred range, you know. So, you know, that's what I mean by making money. But I would have made serious money if I had just stopped investigating and just spent a few dollars just back when it was under pennies or if I had spent a couple hundred dollars back when it was $30, you know. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think so, it's, it's interesting for me. Like, I definitely, just like you, Daryl, are sometimes the victim of analysis paralysis. Right, but there's the final thing. Um, this is not just a unit of currency, as the name might imply, coin equals currency. No, this is a commodity. This is digital real estate. This is like a very specialized email. Imagine if emails of a certain type were very precious. This is that. This is exactly what that is. This is they made the architecture such that there can only be 21 million Bitcoin ever. Done. They made the architecture working that way. And they made it so that mining happens, which is a tedious process at this point requiring a room full of servers that are liquid-cooled or something like that to, to mine Bitcoin. There are innovative new ways of mining Bitcoin, essentially solving the complex equations to free up an actual Bitcoin or a piece of a Bitcoin at this point. And that is what's presently going on in servers around the world. In fact, I think it was estimated that more servers are dedicated to Bitcoin mining than any other computer problem ever right now. And that's because of the equation. But it's more than just the value. The value is one part. It's the information aspect that has been only barely touched upon. Every single transaction which can be made, because this is fractionalized, you can, you can sell point zero 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 one Bitcoin up to one hundredth millionth of a Bitcoin. You can split it up to that far. And in each transaction, you would be able to put data into it, like a small message or something. At this point, not a lot of data is able to fit, as far as I know. And that's why the other cryptocurrencies, because as I said, this is open source. And that means that after they invented Bitcoin, all these other people started making other coins, like Litecoin and Feathercoin, etc., etc., Namecoin, Nextcoin. I'm I'm naming some good investments, by the way, um, yeah. <laughs> for Litecoin, you people out there. Um, from what I've been reading, yeah. Litecoin's about the next one that's about to really start to take off. Yeah, although it just fell a bunch, but um, yeah. that's as did Bitcoin. You know, um, all of these seem to flow together so far. They seem to be pegged on each other, and that's because essentially. There's a ton of businesses that accept Bitcoin, not a ton that accept Litecoin. There's a, a ton of businesses that will, you know, seriously, goods and services are moved by virtue of sending Bitcoin. Uh, even Dell Computer, Overstock.com, it's like, a, like essentially similar to Amazon. They sell everything. Um, there's a lot of different uh, dish network. Every There's all these things, uh, places and people who are either big or little, selling their services in this unit of currency. But it's the information that can be attached to it. That's what's amazing because you just take a moment, you know, use your brain and think for a second. What happens when your information is decentralized? And that's precisely what Neil Stevenson was mentioning in that passage that I quoted from the Diamond Age. What happens is suddenly 
everyone who has a blockchain has access to a title that you move from one person to another of a car or a deed to a house or an escrow account wherein when these situations are fulfilled at this point, then this situation occurs. Instead of filing things in a centralized location, such as your town hall, where you have you know the absolute possibility of government agents could come in and guess what? Your records are gone. <laughs> you know, they could just come right in there and you don't even exist. Your birth certificate is gone. You know, you're gone, basically. Absolutely. It could always happen. It's unlikely, thankfully, because, you know, we're not very important. But if we were, they could certainly go ahead and do that. And there'd be not much to have to stop them except for the yokels that sit there in various town halls and things like that. And they're probably not going to stop them. So this is instead you have that information on all of those hundreds of thousands of servers and computers, all of them periodically going online and syncing up to make sure that they have precisely the same information being replicated. And there is no counterfeiting an anonymous group of hundreds of thousands of growing computers, you know, eventually to be millions. So that's what I was speaking of. It's the information process that's where the value is. It's the blockchain. And the unit of currency and value and sidestepping the dollar, that's great. That's great. Because, you know, everyone has worries about centralization of the dollar and the constant printing of more money. I mean, I'm sure many listeners to this show might know the words, uh, let's see, fractional. What, fractional I'm, now I'm, reserve banking. Fractional reserve banking. Yeah, I just spaced that term there. Um, didn't prepare for that one. You know what? I, you know what I'm talking about. You know, many people would know about the the Federal Reserve, and you know where you you know a bank can simply say, you know, for every dollar that they have, they can loan ten yeah. essentially. Um, th- that yeah. that type of fractional reserve banking, the system of fractional reserve banking, is of course you know, destined to, to make horrible, horrible failures. Well, here is, is the complete opposite, where you have a unit of currency or information, the Bitcoin and all the other cryptocurrencies, each of which has tried to innovate their own specific architecture to try to solve the Bitcoin problems, you know, little issues such as the growing <laughs> size of a blockchain, uh, for example. That's one problem. Um, so... Each of them is trying to come up with a way of dealing with that and other problems besides. And, and there's all these geeks out there, like I mentioned, who are all trying to look at this in depth and see if they could rip it apart and counterfeit or do something to it that would mess it up essentially. So that's, that's why I thought this was important. That's why I thought it was relevant right now. And I'm glad that you saw the importance of it. I'm glad that Gino Denning did too, yeah. which means I need to call him. <laughs> yeah, you need to give him a call, man. I don't Gene's uh Gene's a man, he um I was glad that he uh he took the time to to talk to me, man. Um and honestly, I don't know if he would have if it wasn't for me having you on the podcast, Daryl. So thank you again, Daryl Becker, for being awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I uh I agree. I think um I didn't what was interesting was when I was listening to that part of the book, I hadn't read your essay yet, and he was like kind of he was like breaking down the encryption of, um, and pretty much in that story for anybody that hasn't read the essay, um, we'll post, we're definitely going to post the link, you know, I'm going to attach it when I tweet, when I release this episode. Um, but like the, 
what was interesting was like I didn't I didn't even think about it. He was just talking about an encryption. So basically, um, instead of like actors in the traditional sense, everything's like digitally interactive. So it's like they're called like Ractors. I think what are they called? Are they called Ractors? Yeah, they're called Ractors. That's essentially for Ractors. interactive actors. You know. Yeah, and so basically, um, the character who's talking to um, um, Hollywood, Miranda. Yeah. Or and and Carl yeah, um, yeah, Fred Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, Carl Hollywood. I think Carl Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, and Miranda. Miranda's pretty much raised Nell through the Primer. So this it's this it's this interactive book. It's pretty much, and this is written in 90, 1995, So you can imagine like a a tablet at this point, which is what it, but it looks like a book. So you open it up, and then it's pretty much just a tablet. Um, and it's it's and, and she's pretty much she's. She took all the jobs to raise Nell, and at one point she wants to trace um, to see where Nell is, pretty much so she can kind of take care of her. And uh, Hollywood is pretty much saying it's it's going to be impossible because you can't. We don't know who's actually paying because of this, this, and that, and then we don't know that. And and I never even thought about like Bitcoin. And when you put that, I was like, man, that's that's incredible. I never never made that synapse to put the two together. So. Um. Yeah, that's that's all I got on that, Daryl. I'm just trying to think about. Uh, um. I didn't. I didn't think about. And and I think I take. I think one thing that I'm I'm guilty of is really kind of taking Bitcoin for granted. Not in the sense of like, uh, that I don't see value in it, but not. I guess. Uh, I haven't really studied to see how it works. I think I'm. I've. I'm still kind of. I think a part of me is still really skeptical. Um, and another part of me is is uh, is wanting to observe rather than get in and, and play. Um, so I'm guilty of that, Daryl. I'm gonna come out. I feel like I'm you know in front of in front of a group telling people I'm an alcoholic, but I'm guilty of not not. You don't have a blockchain wallet yet. I do have a blockchain wallet. That is oh wallet. good. I do have a blockchain wallet, but I just don't have anything in it, and I need to get oh. uh, and I need to actually like kind of mess with that and try to figure out a way to get Bitcoin. Um, other than probably buying it, I would like to figure out a way to just get paid in Bitcoin. I um, think that it, if you put your wallet address for people to send you Bitcoin because they love the sample hour so much, <laughs> and is this still called the sample hour? Still the sample hour. Okay, that's still good. The sample hour, yeah. All right, yeah. For people who love that, that's one step. And then, of course, the other one, which is even more useful, if you offer a good or service that is, you know, purchasable through Bitcoin and say, yeah, I will do this for you. I will send this to you if you send me this much Bitcoin. They will do that because there's still all these people who luckily were way wiser than I and you. And they invested early and they have a bunch of Bitcoin. And I know some of them, they, they made their way all the way over to freaking New Zealand on their Bitcoin. They're like, you know, they're living pretty on their Bitcoin. They, they like rewrote their life with, with their purchase of Bitcoin early on. And that's a wonderful thing right there. Um, so all those people would be happy to send millibits or parts of a Bitcoin for small little things. Like I have started writing a book covering the subjects of communication and so I working title, The Language of Choice. And on my website, voluntaryvisions.com, there is 
the support the book project. And you can click on that and you'd see what I'm talking about. And first, basically 0.03 Bitcoin, which is not very much right now at all. I would certainly say that you have just pre-ordered the book. I will send it to you when I'm done. I mean, a print copy. And because there are people out there who love to have print copies. And that, uh, by the way, is one of the reasons why the Diamond Age or a young lady's illustrated primer was in the form of a book is because though a tablet is cool, it's a screen and you could simulated flip pages and stuff, nothing is quite as fast as just quickly turning to this, quickly turning to the appendix, quickly turning to the glossary, you know. It's nothing like like the amazing power of quickly turning in a book. And certainly for our modern tablet users and stuff like that, man, books are so much easier on the eyes. They really They're are. so much easier on the eyes. And as someone who narrates, meaning I love to read out loud, I finally have got a girlfriend again. And it's a great thing to actually have someone who likes to hear my voice so I can read out loud to her. And it's great. Um, so that's that's one thing out there. I was like, I get to... I love to read out loud, but not from a tablet, not from my computer screen. I love to read out loud from a printed page because it's a lot easier. It's on my eyes, essentially. And um, just mentioning those things. I think, too, it's like there's a a book has like character. Like it's like a, I think just like anything else, like any anything that's physical that you, you hold in your hands and you kind of build a relationship like that. It's a. Uh, like you can have a you have a relationship with your cell phone and your electronics, but it's not the same. And it, and it sounds kind of that might sound weird what I'm saying, but I, I think that's what I like about book is a book is just that that relationship, like being able to read through the pages, just like you said. And then we're getting a even getting a used book and like seeing that oh somebody else had a relationship with this book. This is what they found interesting because when I was poor, I also was a fan of cassette tapes, and I'd get a bunch of them from thrift stores. And books as well. And uh, it was kind of cool to just, I think, to to have something that I didn't, and it was from a person that I didn't know that also saw the same value in something else, that the same thing that I did. Um, so I think, uh, I think I like books that way. I mean, you could have an EPUB, um, and, I, and I have a ton of EPUBs too, but like my EPUB that I might, let's say I might highlight in iBooks or... I might make notes in iBooks. Like when I send you an EPUB, it doesn't have any of that. And I think like that is kind of what's cool about books is like you know when I I like to give my books to people once I'm done reading them. Um, I typically don't charge them money um, just because I'd rather just pass on the the knowledge. Um, but um, yeah, I think I, I guess what I'm I guess what I'm trying to get at is that I I I agree. I think that's what that that's what, it is what made it special. And what was also cool was. It looked like an old book, and like that was the cool thing too. The, the from the way they describe it in the story, Harv just thought it was a piece of junk um, at first. So at least that's what he told them um, because it looked, and they believed him because it looks like an old book. So um, and to kind of say how Nell gets the primer, Harv uh, just because he's a poor kid, he kind of gets involved with like a a street gang essentially um, of youth. Um, and one of the main uh, main characters of the story is this gangster named Dr. X. And Dr. X actually uh, wanted the primer um, for a reason. I forget. Why did... Now why, oh, I can, I can tell you that. Yeah. Well, he certainly saw the applications of it because this was no simple 
book or reactive or interactive, you know, professional actor mixing with a essential, you know, uh, like essentially like in this instance, a, a storytelling version of a teach and tell type of thing, you know, where essentially this book was teaching this little four-year-old girl for a series of years, everything, where every little incessant question of why and what does that mean and everything like that was all being filled in. This was education. This was upliftment. This was the process where people can go through and, and take like their smaller perspective and enlarge it. This is me right now, Daryl Becker, 2014. I did not sound this good about 15 years ago because I did not have access to certain information. I didn't have access to the trivium thanks to Gene O'Denning. I did not have access to nonviolent communication thanks to Wes Bertrand and a whole bunch of other people and certainly Marshall Rosenberg. And he didn't have access to it, Marshall Rosenberg, until essentially he put things together coming from his teacher, Carl Rogers. So all of these things are the giants that we stand on the shoulders of. And what Dr. X could see was that this would be useful because there would be all of these people out there. And in this instance, in the story, he knew of a specific group of people who would suddenly benefit from education, from knowledge and understanding and the practical applications of knowledge and understanding, which is wisdom. So in this instance, the specific people that Dr. X was concerned for and wishing to educate were the entire hundreds of thousands of baby girls in the center of mainland China at that time in the story who were under serious threat of being killed just by virtue of being female and born. So they were being smuggled out of the center of China, but they, of course, had nothing to take care of them. You know, besides, I mean, they had the basic physical things. They had, they, you know, he was hiring people to take care of them physically. But what would take care of their mind? What would take care of their spirit? And he saw in the young lady's illustrated primer an actual tool that would be useful for, you know, essentially taking them from ignorance and lifting them up into serious power and utility. That's what the purpose was. So, um, you know, you, you don't get to find that out until later on in the story. Spoiler. But, you know, <laughs> essentially, you know, you, you don't understand what is his motive? What is Dr. X's motive in this? But now, of course, Hack you know, stole some technology from Dr. X to build the primer, didn't he? Yeah, well, you see, that's the thing about this. This book actually uses the term intellectual property. And there is that subject which I would hope everyone look into. You know, if you haven't looked into intellectual property, I don't know what freedom type stuff that you think you're into because <laughs> that's a very important thing about freedom. Yeah. It's essentially censorship. Intellectual property is a form of censorship. It, as far as I, my research goes, it goes back to the sometime in the 1500s, 1600s, um, you know, and it was uh, essentially making things proprietary so that only certain people could use and trade with certain information. And the same thing goes with Bitcoin, people who want to regulate it, you know, put regulations on who is allowed to own, sell and move and trade Bitcoin. It's the same type of thing. And of course, Bitcoin is math and equations. So it's kind of like saying, you can't do math like that. That math is not for you peasants. No, 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 no. That math, those equations are for the elite, you know? <laughs> so, so essentially, 
this, you know, I, I know I digress, but the story is showing you examples of what happens when people want to keep a secret. Now, keeping a secret is one thing. You you work for a company. In this case, the the character John Percival Hackworth is working for a company. He is in a, he is in a prestigious file. He is one of the Neo Victorians, an Atlantean. He is high up there. He is not just an engineer. He is an artifacts. He is, as Doctor X calls him, worth a thousand lesser engineers, and he's the one who works diligently to create a young lady's illustrated primer, the device, essentially, which is coupled with an actual live raptor, an actual live person who's anywhere in the world, who gives the voice and the intonation, kind of like the way I'm giving voice and intonation to these words, and is able to act, essentially. is able to enunciate and pronounce and ad-lib all the information in such a way as to make it incredibly palatable to the child who is absorbing the information. This is the job of a teacher, to know the author, the audience, and the message, the rhetorical triangle. I think we covered that one back in sample hour one time. We did. So, we did. It yeah, was yeah. one of our so, couple episodes. Yeah, we could, yeah we could go, go, go back a couple episodes. Yeah. Stop, the, stop the recording right now. Go there. Okay, come back. Okay, now welcome back. So, you know, it's like that. Um, the process was just to produce value, something that is incredibly instantly valuable. In this instance to children. So Dr. X knew of all of these orphaned girls, all of these many, many girls who would seriously benefit from having information and a way to put one word in front of another and a way to learn any subject, thus the trivium, and a way to figure out their situation, where they happen to be, and what options are in front of them, and how to collect together and create things together. This was the process. So... Yeah, in the, in the later on in the book, just, you know, since we're, we're spoiling everything all about the book here, um, John Hackworth is certainly captured and put to the task of creating uh, a Ractorless version and with, with no actors involved, essentially, version of the primer. A bootleg version. A bootleg version, essentially. Also, which is very important... The main reason why John Ackworth copied this primer in the first place against the agreements of his boss was so that he could have his daughter have a copy. All of that could have been solved if his employer had simply been smart enough to, of course your daughter can have a copy of this. You know? Well, he has to spend 10 years, too, in the, with the drummers, which was like and, a weird... Yeah, no, that part's... That is, you know, so it's the same type of thing. It's like to try to, you know, if... Like, it's the same type of thing where... Um, if you and I made our Bitcoin completely 100% anonymous, I know there's uh, anonymous Bitcoin by Christoph Atlas. He, he wrote a book on how to specifically do this. And there's people like Cody Wilson who makes Dark Wallet um, attempts at making Bitcoin untraceable. If we, you and I both had Dark Wallets, essentially, we were, we, our transactions are 100% untraceable. You could never find our wallets and you could never see our transactions. Then to find out who we were would take weird things, psychedelics and, you know, people meditating and all types of like, it, like, you know, autistic people who can like, you know, suddenly add up and, and multiply humongous numbers. It would take something on the order of that to break the code because the code is huge. It's a lot. It's, it's huge. And so in the book, essentially, that's what's going on is um, 
the character Miranda is trying to backtrace her client. She wants to find the little girl Nell that she's been raising for a decade. And she wants to actually see that, you know, meet her and see that she's okay. That's the purpose why she essentially goes under the ocean into the society of the drummers where they're working on that problem amongst other problems. Yeah, the drummers are kind of fascinating. Do they... And I haven't gotten. I know. I know Hackworth, like Kidnapper, took Hackworth to the drummers. That was the, the, the yeah. Essentially, he just basically that was his cab ride there. You know, that yeah, was he, all it was about. I mean, he was he was essentially going there to try to understand what was going on. He didn't really know what he was in for, and he was being tracked by two powerful entities: the security forces of his own file and Doctor X himself. And which, of course, was just another agent of the Han people, the whole, the incredible army of the Han Chinese at that time in the story. And they were the, those were the two people who were fully interested because what the Han people were essentially making Hackworth work on while he was serving his 10 years under the water with the drummers was a decentralized matter converter or MC called the Seed. You know, the C, the, the MCs were all built on the feed technology, centralized flows of atoms, which could be controlled and tracked and measured so that no one could easily create things without a centralized authority knowing about it. The seed technology is wherein every little thing could start to recreate itself. Imagine stored within your fingernail, you could have a tiny little nanobot that could just jump out, assemble from all the ambient atoms in the air itself more things which would assemble more things which would assemble more things based upon your information. That's what I mean by the seed. So this book refers to seed technology and right before he creates it, he's essentially pulled out by the authorities of his own file. And that, you know, gives you an idea of like one level beyond 3D printing, one level beyond even atomic printing is the technology that builds its own technology essentially. Kind of like and, the, uh, yeah. Did you ever see the movie Transcendence? No, but I'm going to write that down. Yeah, it kind of it kind of touches on that with uh, Johnny Depp's character because the uh, like he once they download his consciousness into the computer, like the technology just it just kind of builds and builds and builds and builds. It's a really fascinating movie. I definitely check it out. Um, uh, yeah, that's uh. I didn't mean to just derail you there, but yeah, that's it's it's pretty interesting. It was kind of hard for me to follow a little bit. <laughs> I hadn't like, and I hadn't really had taken the time to like go back and look it over yet. And I was just like, okay, so Hackworth disappears for a long time, and I was like, man, what? So is he dead? What's going on? And then it's like, okay, then he kind of wakes up in the in the amongst the drummers, and it was like, oh wow, this is interesting. And he's like, so I'm at. He's still with his daughter, and um, they are. Um, they're kind of just oh they're taking a trip okay yes. so good I don't want to give away everything then because you actually haven't even finished the book but I have let me tell I'm you <laughs> it would take it took me with my own use of knowledge and understanding a couple reads to grab the nuances in order to write this essay in order to see what was going on this guy I don't know if you ever google Neil Stevenson and watch him talk like watch a video of him, watch any of them. You know, there's only a few out there actually. Um, it's rather incredible what he actually has a grasp over. It's very, very interesting to see what he actually is aware of and the many different nuances that he weaves into things. Uh, there are, you know, 
uh, military devices worn by people called hoplites. I didn't even know until recently when I looked up hoplite and it shows this uh, essentially, uh, this was the ancient Spartan warriors. You know, these are you know farmers and artisans who happen to have enough money to buy the armor and shields and uh, spear necessary to form that part of the impromptu military. And they would form phalanxes, which would be incredibly effective in terms of essentially offense or defense. And uh, in this book, you know, it's fully using like ancient terms like that that I unfortunately was unaware because there's so many aspects of history that I still have holes in, you know, and there's going to, I'll be filling them in for the rest of my life. I'm sure another 50 some years if I'm very fortunate. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he also, he, I saw he did crowdsource to build this video game. Um, uh, and, and I forget, I think he ran out of money, but I know they're the, the, the book before this, they are turning into a movie, so I'm sure he'll make... Snow Crash? Yeah, they're making a movie. Uh-huh. So, wow. I, I think they should, like, what I kind of don't like, though, is, like, um, whenever I listen to a book like this, like, it, it needs to be a miniseries. Like, it needs to be, like, an HBO miniseries instead of a movie. Because a movie never captures yeah. everything that you... Like, Game of Thrones is, like, a prime example of, like, what every book could be turned into. And, like, when I... I like Game of Thrones a lot. Um, like I think it's a good show. Like sometimes I'm, I'm like, all right, that was stupid or that was unrealistic. In not in the sense of like it's a magical world, but in the sense of uh, I don't know. There's some scenes and like I don't. I'm not always the biggest fan of uh, of that writer. Um, some of his stories are like some some battle scenes are kind of silly. Like, uh, but uh, anyways, to to talk about it though, like, but that that is a good show because it introduces like really good ideas. Um, but I think like every, every book or every sci-fi, whenever I'm listening to a book, I'm always like thinking about how this could be broken down into like a mini series, um, or even a few seasons of a mini series. And I think like, I think like, and I, I think eventually we'll get to that way. Um, cause I think people like, I think people are like for entertainment, I think they do want some intellectual taste to their entertainment these days. Um, so I'm hoping that, uh. But Snow Crash, I don't, I don't know who's directing it, but I know that they are. That is coming out. So I did. Uh, I hope like Joss Whedon or something. Yeah, cool, man. Yeah, it'd be cool. Like I, I, I didn't even know that this was a sequel. Like I didn't know that. They, what character is actually connected in between the two books? Yt. Yt. The main character in Snow Crash is the only character in common in both stories. Okay, so I don't. Um, who's he in this story? Who's Yt? I'm sorry. <laughs> Is he at the end or she? She, yeah. Um, it. I think it doesn't matter, and uh, I think I would say this. This would be the one spoiler I'm not going to give away for you. Yeah, you find her. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Snow Crash you, is like a. It's another cyberpunk story. Yeah, Snow Crash is set some. I don't know, like sixty years before the story, the Diamond Age, at least. That's pretty so, awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like I, I've never really heard like Neil talk about the two books and say like Neil, Neil, is it just is is Diamond Age the, the sequel or you know I I mean like maybe it is and maybe it isn't you know yeah. um, but one thing's for sure I mean it's an homage you know there certainly is that character in common and um, and Snow Crash shows you the disintegration also based on cryptography that's going on. 
and except in more of a, a complete crash, especially Snow Crash features the subject of hyperinflation, where people are buying and selling things in terms of billions and quadrillions of U.S. dollars because that's how little they are worth. Or in millions of yen because yen is worth something. Or, you know, <laughs> um, like not, not millions of yen, but then there, there are other currency units too. By the time you get to the Diamond Age, it's a yuku or um, I forgot what yuku was, a <sighs> unit of um, co- common economic protocol unit of currency essentially. Something that was universally receivable and usable in a similar way as what Bitcoin is. You know, at this point, it's a worldwide currency usage or commodity that is instantly tradable around the world. Have it in your phone or in your computer or on other devices or on paper, and then just you know, or in your brain for people who can memorize you know thirty digits, um, and. They could walk from you know across these imaginary borders essentially, and there they have their currency. So, you know, now it's the problem, of course, is just going to a terminal and uploading it. So, um, yeah, that's that's the amazing thing when you look up Brain Wallet. You know, like Google, you know, Bitcoin Brain Wallet and read about it. Google Bitcoin Paper Wallet. These are interesting terms for you, the audience, to look up, and you, the Drew Sample, to look up as well. That's interesting because the Drew Sample is my username for most things. Wow. <laughs> well, anyways, we have covered some really interesting stuff. And have, um, I did not know that you didn't finish the book yet. So I'm glad I didn't give like a ton of stuff away. I'm really um, close. I'm really close to the end. Like I'm not, I'm not far. Um, I've, been, uh, I've been driving a bunch. So I've been listening to quite a bit and just working around my, my house, getting things moved around. I got to. Um, just been doing little things and, uh, I'm almost done. Um, I just, uh, I just really was like, man, Daryl and I have been looking for a reason to do a podcast together. So <laughs> and we were like, we need some topics. And, uh, <laughs> so I was like, when I found, when I, when, uh, Gene had, uh, recommended me read this book and listen to this book and like, and if you don't have audible, like I got it off audible, you can get the EPUB, you can actually get it for free online. Um, Neil Stevenson, or he's a pretty cool guy. So you know, buy the book. Hopefully, he gets <laughs> yeah. money from that. But uh, I got he's got a lot of money, by the he, way. He does. Okay, <laughs> well, then, screw Neil. But no, I'm just teasing. Um, uh, I think it's actually available on YouTube as well. That's what Gene was saying. Um, but I, I would just get Audible. I think Audible's a great service. I also have eMusic does books too, but they kind of rip you off. Um, they'll if you don't use the purchases, they'll take them away from you. So I wouldn't necessarily go that route, but Audible's a. Do you use Audible? I don't. They're not even a sponsor. I was just. Curious. I have used Audible, and I found that it was really easy and fun. And uh, Neil Stevenson, if you're listening, I don't really know if you have a lot of money. I mean, maybe you, maybe you never <laughs> did, or maybe you spent it all. But either way, I'm psyched for the value that you gave me, and I look forward to reading your Cryptonomicon books. Those ones I haven't actually read, by the way. Yeah. Um, and uh, and and the other books that he's written and uh these are things on my list essentially so yeah i don't really know and some have speculated like i mentioned in my essay that neil stevenson is satoshi nakamoto the in- actual white paper inventor of bitcoin the person who wrote the architecture and then unlaunched it onto the world and, and that, he might be and it could and actually what's interesting is like 
he has so many like Asian references in his book and in this book in particular and I don't and I don't, and I don't know if Snow Crash is the definitely same lots in Snow Crash. Yeah, and, and it and it would actually make sense cuz that guy who um they stalked and they made that big deal about I definitely don't think that was that guy. Um that older Asian man who they released that his his house and all that that article was kind of fishy to begin with. Uh Oh, that guy. Oh yeah, that was just um just some guy. Yeah, his 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 name was uh Satoshi like Dorian Nakamoto. He's mostly going by Dorian, you know. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, that was just a, a canard, another little media blitz of things, you know. The central that was all coming from the centralized media. The yeah. decentralized media were quickly saying, eh, yeah. "Try again," you know. The, the centralized media was like, "Look, look over there, look," you know. That's what they <laughs> yeah. like to do, man. I think it's. Uh... I don't know. We live in a fascinating world, Mr. Becker. I'm still uh, just in developing my worldview since our last conversations, and I, and I think about like how much I've kind of grown as a human. Um, yeah, I, I really have too, by the way. I, I've taken what I discussed with you regarding Trivium, nonviolent communication, made it a lot more internal. I've taught it more. I worked for a while as a professor at the Oriental Medical College where I graduated. I got to do that some. And I got to teach these things, and I've taken it very internally. And I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I'm humbled by all I've learned, basically, like by the person I've, uh, I, I keep trying, trying to turn into. I guess I had the question of, um, like, have you, you, you continue to find value in, in those NVC trivium things, or? Absolutely, yeah. I think, um, yeah, I would say that was kind of what spurred me to in growth and i think you know and i think i really because like, i I kind of just hit the surface of the trivium method and i think a lot of people do that especially kind of in the liberty movement i feel like they they just want to touch on the surface and there's 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 people um i feel like um you know and I, I don't and i know he's got quite the cult following and i don't want to get a bunch of haters i kind of feel like stefan molyneux does like he touches on the surface but i don't think he ever really dives deep um and and I don't mean that offensively. I, I do like Stefan Molyneux, and I think he has a very good message. But I th- I think like when you kind of dive deep in the trivium, you you kind of see like the it's it, it is more just like what you said. It's more internal, and I think it's it is more of a um it's like a it, it, like talking to Gene when he said he always starts the process over, and um and I think that's important, and I think. Uh, like it kind of made me be like, okay, well, maybe I should actually buy these books that he recommends, and maybe I should read them instead of just listening to a bunch of podcasts and thinking about it. Like maybe I should actually study, and uh, and you know, and and I think uh, I think that's that's important, and I think you know, as much as you know, as much as information is at our fingertips online, and as much stuff that you can read online, I think like taking time to think about things is something we all don't necessarily do a lot, or taking enough time to, to reflect on your life and your experiences and how you could have handled things differently and how you're going to make changes in the future and, and what your motivations were, which was something that really kind of stuck with me during our conversations that we had previously is what is my motivation? You know, what is my motivation for doing this? And it, and it, and, it, and I do that like every, like I'll get in, like, I'll just get in the habit of doing things. It might not be the most productive. Like I've been, really really busy like just doing a bunch of things like doing a million things at once and 
and I think a lot of it was at first to like uh, you know I was very serious with a with a with a young lady and um, we spent so much time together and then uh, we and we discussed this before like she moved away and and you know and I, I and I recently and at first like I was really kind of upset about it and I didn't know how to like interact with her anymore and, and it kind of messed me up and now like I kind of like recently through like I guess through traveling and I, and I really kind of dealt with a lot of stuff I felt like when I went to Arizona for the Jackalope and like spending a lot of time by myself and like taking myself somewhere, um, which it was actually surprisingly very like kind of healing in the sense that I, I had a lot of time to internalize things and I had a lot of times to time to reflect. And I just kind of realized like how much better my life had become on my own. And when I wasn't just spending a bunch of time with one person and it was, and it, that was a phase in my life and I, and I enjoyed it, but like, like I think, like from my growth, it was kind of inhibiting each other's. We were inhibiting each other's growth, and I think uh, so. I think like, yeah. And then I and then I, I I was just really busy all the time, and like because I and I wasn't necessarily wanting to think about it. And then I also was just like, well, what's my motivation? And it was like, oh, you know, I think your motivation is you don't want to deal with these things. Or you don't necessarily want to cope with some of your emotions. And I think um, so. I think that's kind of I think for like internalization, like you know, maybe with nonviolent communication with myself, if that makes sense. And I think it's, you know, it's important to communicate with others in that way, but we don't always communicate with ourselves that way. We're, we tend to be very hard on ourselves and we tend to not be very nice to ourselves or love ourselves as much as we should. So I think, um, I think that's what I mean by like the, the internalization and, and maybe that's what you meant as well. It is. Yeah. And I also have consistently had to revisit my motivations for my specific actions or inactions, my choices, to see what was I after by pursuing this or that person, this or that relationship, or this or that situation. Even the job, for example, what was I, what was my motivation for staying in a job like that when I could have been entrepreneurially working for myself in this other capacity as an acupuncturist, for example, and I am an acupuncturist and I still do work as that, but I have to say I, I don't have enough work to float my own boat. That takes time and any entrepreneurial adventure takes serious time to do that. So, um, yeah, those were, those were serious issues of, you know, under, you know, re-reckoning and building up and finding what, what is it that I get value from and why am I doing this? And when I revisited that, I look at my list of motivating factors, the cnvc.org needs inventory list, essentially. I can, you know, pick out, you can make, put check marks against each one of those things that you're after relative to each specific strategy or action that you take. And I can do that fairly quickly in my mind now. And it's taken me a couple of years uh, to really get fluid with it. And certainly months since we've talked and getting way more fluid with it. And um, yeah, that it's always very critical. And there's nothing as really consuming as just getting into the whole relationship sphere and seeing how that goes. It's very consuming. Uh, it, yeah, I'm, I'm in the midst of a, the second week of a new relationship. It's very consuming. Yeah. So, <laughs> but it's yeah. fun, man. It's fun to be in love. But it's fun. Yeah. It's, fun it's to great be to be in love, love, man. That's like, that's the whole thing. Like, yeah. Like, I don't, yeah. I don't regret any of it, man. Like, I, I spent so much time with this other person and, 
I don't regret I don't regret a second and um and I'm looking forward to spending time with this person now as friends and I think like it took me a while to finally get to that point and like right and I'm a very 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 persuasive human being and like <laughs> like I'm very like that's what I do. like I persuade people I'm in sales I persuade people for a living and I and and I've gotten to the point where like I've 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 been I've been I've persuaded people for the wrong reasons or I've persuaded people and I felt dirty about it if that makes sense like I I haven't always been the most uh um ethically sound and I didn't necessarily have a a solid foundation of values that I that I that I stood on and and you know developing that over time and and you know selling in a way that makes me feel comfortable and living my life in a way that that I feel like is is with a proper purpose, purpose, and uh, I guess righteous, and not in a religious sense, but in, in like uh, being righteous to myself, and 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 I think like sometimes in in relationships, like especially my that relationship, like I would I would kind of I would be so persuasive just to get my way, and it would, and it and it's just like, and it would be, it would be counterproductive, and I think it, and it was counterproductive, and like in our process of actually breaking up, and now and. You know, and and so like naturally, like I I couldn't I couldn't really be a good friend to this to this person that that is very important to me, and I think like um like I think like again like going over those motivations like it's helped me recognize that, and it's helped me with my communication with her, and it's helped me with her communications with me and us understanding each other who we are now versus who we were a year ago, and because um, we both changed quite a bit, and I think um. So yeah, I would say that our conversations were very helpful for me. Um, it have been very helpful for me in my I got a I got a better job in my approach to sales. Like, um, I think we're, it, it's been very helpful as well um, because that's I mean I think even in sales like and I, and I and I actually did want to talk to you about like kind of developing like a non-violent um, MVC approach to sales because I think a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't understand sales and they're they're awful at sales and they don't necessarily and even like and I think it's important even when you're presenting an idea um to have good sales or you want to be you know you know what I mean and and that was something that you you actually are very good at Daryl like you're very good at 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 um presenting your ideas and uh, and you can tell you've worked very hard on it and uh and I think some people they're not They'll develop something that that is like a good product or it's a good idea, but they don't know how to convey it. And I think, and I think, you know, that's where nonviolent communication can really help you. Um, so, um, yeah. So there we go. Thanks for that. Yeah, I think that it would be fascinating to apply NVC tactics to sales, but I think it's something that I would say you just get really good at isolating the motivating factors of other people. Yeah. Or the other things that I would say, just like understanding the terrain of the bridge of empathy between you and the other person. Yeah. How solid is that bridge? Is it a serious suspension bridge that you're really going to drive from your island to their island? No problem. No sweat. Or is it a pre-Columbian rope bridge arc, you know, <laughs> like, like, you know, kind of romancing the stone type thing where, yeah. you know, you're, every step and a board is falling away type of thing, you know. When you were, um, um, when you were in Vermont, did you do, were you in sales back in the day, Daryl? Like, no. Okay, I didn't know if you were an outside salesperson listening to all those books and 
tapes and CDs back in the day. Uh, no, I I have to say I was in medicine for a long time at this point, and recently got into teaching, and now I'm I'm still in medicine somewhat, but I'm I'm seeking elsewhere. I I'm I have to say I'm launching into communications, anything having to do with communications, mediation, etc. Um, I'm looking to burst into that market of you know, essentially pre-litigation mediation, that type of thing where I, I can help people resolve their conflict before it becomes expensive and you know in the case of a relationship to work with another professional like myself so that you know that's completely balanced sexually speaking meaning that if the relationship is a man and woman i need to have a woman professionally to work with so that it seems all balanced so that no one is taking anyone's side it's not like a men against woman thing that's and a, that's a great idea uh, I've had it before. I mean, my, I've actually had mediation of that sort to, to deal with a specific divorce that I went through some like years and years ago, basically. So um, there was a mediating couple, basically. They weren't like, I don't think that they were romantically involved themselves, but they were both professional and it was balanced like that. And they both really fully had a game plan with one meeting where they get all the issues from us. And the next meeting where they lay out the issues with their own logical, rational way of dealing with it. And it's obvious that no one is taking anyone's specific side. That was pretty freaking slick. So, <laughs> yeah, um, I, I do see a lot of people going to, you know, think, oh, I'm going to go for therapy. I'm going to go and, you know, um, I'm going to that that'll help me out. And um, I don't think yeah, um, unfortunately, they go to therapy and what happens? They go to therapy and there's a male therapist and there's and the couple is a man and woman. Or they go to therapy and it's a woman therapist and it's a man and woman trying to deal with their issues. And so what does the odd gender out feel? They, they feel, F this, basically. You know, you, you know this sucks, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because it's unbalanced. And there's no way around that. You know, there's no gender neutral robot to go and have therapy for right now. That's not a service that's possible. There's no, you know, it doesn't, you know, or at least if it does exist, it's rare. So, and I'm not aware of it. No, so, that's, yeah. That's, uh, that actually reminds me of this, um, for some reason when you were talking about that, like it reminded me, like, and I, and I think that that is something that we don't think about. Like I know, I mean, relationships, people struggle. I mean, there's a lot of people, um, I mean that's a that's a big deal, man. Relationships is a huge, huge business. Even just like dating services, like uh, I was I forget I was listening to um, I was listening to NPR, which uh, is very much uh, centrally run, but at the same time, sometimes they have some pretty good uh, stories. And I was I was listening to Marketplace, and they were talking about like how big of a business uh, online dating is now, and mm. and it's relationships is something that we don't talk about like we don't we don't talk about enough we don't understand enough everybody has these crazy ideas about how it should work and it's usually everybody like the different philosophies are out of balance and um and i think what you're saying sounds awesome because it sounds like it's in balance and and there's no right or wrong way to a relationship at all it's really very dependent on the those two individuals involved and uh and i think that's uh 
I think that sounds awesome, man. I think that's that's definitely something pursuing, and I think there's definitely a market for that for sure. Um, so, uh, well, anyways, uh, I think we should probably wrap this up. We're about like an hour and twenty five minutes, and it flew by, Daryl. So, uh, um, go to uh, voluntaryvisions.com and thank you. Check out yeah. Daryl's website. Um, Please support my book if you wish to, and I can pre-order that. And if you want to pre-order it using Federal Reserve notes, then just please send me a nice little email, and I will happily uh, f- provide you with the PayPal information. That's awesome. And uh, anything else you want to promote, Daryl? That's basically it. Yeah, I was. Um, let's let's hopefully have like a couple minutes casual talk after after oh, this. Absolutely, man. I'm a. I, I, I got time for you, Daryl Becker. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that, Drew. And yeah, please do continue to listen to the sample hour. And thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye bye.